Welcome to the Radio ECMA podcast. Here's your host, Chris Batstone. Hello, and thank you very much for choosing this podcast today. This, my friends, is the very first Radio ECMA podcast, and I'm so excited to get this on the go, and I'm so excited to host our first guest. I'll get into that very soon. First, I would like to thank the East Coast Music Association for creating this podcast and choosing me as the host of it. It's uh, just a, a, a fantastic opportunity for me, and I'm so looking forward to talking to you and introducing and perhaps reintroducing you as well to the fabulous artists that exist in Prince Edward Island, in New Brunswick, in Cape Breton, in Nova Scotia, and in Newfoundland and Labrador, otherwise known as the East Coast. And also a huge thank you to our sponsor, the SoCan Foundation. Really great that you've come on board with the Radio ECMA podcast. Thank you very much for that. So just a bit of context about me as your host. I won't take up too much of your time. I don't like really talking about myself, but I, I think that you need some context. My name is Chris Badstone. I was born in Grand Falls, Windsor, in Newfoundland and Labrador, which if you don't know, Grand Falls, Windsor is the very center of the province. And I moved to Halifax and lived there in my junior high years. Very much enjoyed that. Moved to St. John's in my high school years. And St. John's has been my home ever since. I had a few detours, lived in Toronto for a while. I actually lived in Woodstock, New Brunswick for a while, just outside of Fredericton, and uh, lived there for a year. My wife had a a job there. I've been a musician over the years. Um, Perhaps you've heard of some of the bands I've been in. I don't know. I want to make that assumption. But I played in ECMA-nominated bands Drive and The Punters and Kelly Russell and The Planks. And I currently play with Rick Lamb, who is just a fantastic guitar player. I'm a musician. It's it's not my job anymore, but um, I'm still active and I love it. I'm a 30-year radio presenter as well. Three decades at it. I had my first commercial radio job in 1989, if I could date myself. And I'm currently on K-Rock in St. John's as well. Business owner too. I make music marketing materials for entertainment and sporting events. So... That's me. All right. Enough of that. Let's get on with the podcast. We've made a grave mistake. Oh, if we walk away so coldly. Oh, I tell you, is that good? good It is good. That, my friends, is Jamila from Halifax, Nova Scotia, and Kingston, Jamaica. She has great music, which we're going to play for you coming up including her new single, Chant Their Names, which is an exceptional and powerful song inspired by the Black Lives Matter movement. We're going to get into that coming up as well. So, without further ado, welcome Jamila to the Radio ECMA podcast. Welcome. Thank you so much, Chris. How are you doing today? I am, I am doing well, and you are the very first guest on the Radio ECMA podcast. That's awesome. Thank you. You know, I I I think you should get a t-shirt, you know, a, 
like a special T-shirt, you know, like you know, I I was the first guest on the Radio ECMA podcast, and all I got was this lousy T-shirt, like something like that. No, I would accept the T-shirt wholeheartedly for sure. <laughs> That's great. All right, I'll I'll talk to Jess and see if we can uh, get one together for you. So, um, you know, we're big fans of you at the ECMA, and. Uh, we, I, w- I want you, though, to describe in your own words to people who are perhaps not as familiar with you um, about what your music is all about. Absolutely, Chris. Um, music is an inseparable part of my life since I was a child. Um, and over the years, I've actually struggled with finding the place that I would hold within my musical career and the sort of messages I want to um, convey, you know, because... There's a lot of music in the world, but if I could have that opportunity to make a positive influence through music, then that is what satisfies me the most. So I would say that I am a big proponent of message music. Right. Absolutely. It is perfectly obvious in your music um, that you uh, are big on on the message. Um, the actual music itself, it, it, it seems like it's a, a combination with a very deep reggae to me, anyway, very deep reggae with soul stylings. Is that how you would describe it? Oh, absolutely. Reggae Soul is one of the first songs that I self-produced, and um, it is definitely that reggae roots, but with that soulful air, which is something that I've always been enamored with since I was a child as well. I love singing jazz, I love R&B, and I love soul classics. So being able to put those two genres together and fusing them is basically, I would say, what my signature style is. Absolutely, and and uh, it seems like it does belong to you exclusively, um, especially in, in comparison to artists on the East Coast. You grew, you grew up in Jamaica, and... Yeah. And you cite your father, who you refer to as Chinna, as a, mm-hmm. as a huge influence on your music. Talk about your musical upbringing in Jamaica. Oh, of course. Um, I started off singing in the choirs, you know. I went to church. I, I grew up with my grandmother and mother in the countryside. And it wasn't until I moved to Kingston in my teenage years that I really immersed myself into the roots reggae um, part of my background. My father was always a touring musician. And even though I didn't spend a lot of time with him as a child, in my teenage years we really got an opportunity to really... Um, connect and bond over music, and then I also realized his story, having worked his way out of the ghettos of Kingston and playing, playing, on, um, playing guitars with reggae legends like Bob Marley, you know, Jimmy Cliff, Freddie McGregor, and, and other artists as well, and, and really making a name for himself and contributing, and um, that really moved me and strengthened my resolve to join the industry as well. Was it your upbringings in a, a perhaps a poor environment? Did that uh, focus your music as well? Oh, absolutely. Definitely. Um, what became my support system were his friends, you know, other very talented musicians, and also my brothers and sisters who are themselves um, very talented and accomplished musicians and vocalists themselves. Yeah, and you were—I think you were uh, very fortunate to grow up in a musical family, and um, and and your father actually played with the Whalers, and, and so did. did and so did you. <laughs> exactly, and also my sister. <laughs> no, wow, that's so. What what was that like? I mean, like the Whalers are just a 
an iconic group, you know. Absolutely. Just so... My dad started playing with them when he was 17 years old. He did a, a recording for them. He started off most of his career as a session musician. And um, after a while, he started to tour with Bob Marley in the later part of his career. Wow. Um, so his experience of the Whalers was very authentic. What I got years later was the opportunity to tour with Aston Family Man Barrett, the core bass player and I would say right-hand man of Bob Marley in, um, in a group that he had put together to continue the Whalers' legacy. So that's the opportunity that I got decades later. Yeah, you you had the opportunity to uh, to continue that legacy, your family legacy, and the Whalers. And um, what did you personally learn from that experience? Well, it was my first tour ever. Wow, one years old. <laughs> <laughs> Very first tour was with the Whalers. Yes, that's correct. <laughs> that's in, that is incredible. Okay, yeah, go ahead. My sister. My sister was touring with another lady, um, Miss Raquel Hines, who's an exceptional vocalist herself, and she had to leave for personal reasons at that time, and my sister and the team there um, asked if I would be able to join them. At the time, I was working as a customer service representative at a telecommunications company in Jamaica, and I went to my um, boss, and I was like, I'm sorry, I have to go. I don't know if this opportunity will ever come back around. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. The whalers are calling here, you know. Exactly. So off I went, and um, and it was a great experience. I actually learned, I hit the floor running and had to learn the discipline of being out there on the road, you know, how important it was to show up and be prepared, and how important it was to, to be resolute in your culture and, and, and to understand it for those people that had questions, too, you know? So that was a, a real learning process for me. Yeah, you, you mentioned that in an interview with... Uh Toxic.fm in 2017, you, you said yeah. that the strongest lessons you learned from the greats of reggae, who you personally met, uh, mm-hmm. was perseverance and humility. Um, yes. I'm wondering if you could expand on that further and perhaps relate it to your latest single, Chant Their Names. Oh, that is a, um, it's a, such a great connection that you have made there. Perseverance and humility. Let's start with perseverance. I have been trying to emerge as a solo artist for a few years now. I've been trying to work on an album for a few years now. Those who know me personally will know that it hasn't been a very easy road for me, but I kept at it, you know? I kept at it. I, I show up every single opportunity I get. And every single opportunity I get, I try to be prepared, and I I deliver the best of myself. And I'm not always comfortable doing it, but I know that it's a necessary ingredient if I'm to move forward. And um, their names showed me that it will pay off, um, even if it's not with money and fame. Their social change is enough of of a payment for me, you know what I mean? To be able to touch people's lives in a positive way. And also to be humble about it. When I wrote that song, Chant Their Names, um, maybe a couple of days after um, George Floyd's video became viral and I got an opportunity to see it, I didn't know where the song was going to go. But after writing the song and sharing it with a few of my close friends, they were so moved by it that they helped me to get it off of the page and into the ears of of the masses. And um, that was like... (laughs) the most incredible thing for me just to see what passion, sheer passion and will 
can produce, you know, and togetherness as well. Yeah, that it's it's such a huge movement right now. Um, was the George Floyd incident like the defining moment that inspired you to write chant their names? Because you mentioned a lot of a lot of names, you know, a lot of uh, people who have been affected by this in the song itself. Um, yes. But was was the George Floyd incident like the incident that brought up, brought forth this song? Yes, it was definitely. I'll tell you what happened. Chris, I watched that video, and when he cried out for his mom moments away from taking his final breath, my heart turned. I, I, I was moved, and I was broken in that moment watching him suffer, you know, so indignantly, you know. It was really, really a hard thing for me. And um, when I went back to my session, my studio session, because I was in the middle of a, a, an habitual writing session with a, a colleague of mine, Richard. He plays keys in my band and also is one of my best friends. And he was like, if you can't think about anything and it's writing your mind so much, then maybe you should try to write about that. Because I was always constantly trying to think of another subject, something lighter, something that would, you know, try to think of what the people would want rather than what the people need. You yeah, know what I mean. I do. Yeah, yeah absolutely. It, I mean, it's a, it's, it's such a powerful message. I don't want to tax you with a, a big overall thought here, but I, I would be interested to know mm-hmm. what the Black Lives Matter movement means to you. Oh, it means everything to me, and um, Black Lives Matter means more than just black on white relations or um, race relations. It's also colorism as well, because I'm from Jamaica. And classism and colorism is as destructive as black-on-white racism, you know, and white-on-black racism as well. Um, It is important for us to see every human being for what they are on the inside and not for trivial things like color, you know, things that people can't have no control over. And I believe that once we get past these trivialities and break down these imaginary lines of separation, then the entire world will be better for it because then we'll be able to realize all the magnificent things that we could do together. Um, I have been a victim of racism over and over again. I was touring with Groundation, a band from California, and I was in Amsterdam, and I was asked to leave stores, you know what I mean? When I moved wow. to Nova Scotia, I was living on Spring Garden Road, and little white old ladies would clutch their purses when I joined them in the elevator. And, you know, these are things that leave a lasting impact on, on, on someone's brain and someone's psyche. And I just feel like there's so much more to be accomplished if we could move forward from those, like, social inhibitions, you know? Such an incredible message, and, and I love that you're doing it um, with empathy as well. As, as the powerful message of Chant Their Names. I, w- I want to play that single now for uh, our podcast listeners. And uh, Thank you, Chris. absolutely, it's, it's my pleasure to do it. Here is Chant Their Names, Jamila, on the Radio ECMA podcast. We have to go to the root, we have to go to the cause. Dealing with the condition itself is not enough. And it is because of our effort toward getting straight to the root that people often think
Chant Their Names by Jamila on the Radio ECMA podcast. And Jamila is my special guest on the very first podcast, the very first interview. I want to thank you again for being our first guest. I I think you're so interesting. I want to know um, how you came to us on the East Coast. You were born in Jamaica. You were born in Kingston. And and how did you come here? Okay, so my mom has been living here for close to a decade. She's a nurse here. And every time I mention that, I always take the opportunity to big up all the frontline workers that are putting their lives on the line to keep us safe here and all over the world. Um, my mom moved here, and then after that, I came to visit. Um, she was living here for a couple of years before I visited for the first time. And when I did, naturally, I wanted to find out what the music scene was like, you know? Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> I met a few really important incredible people, artists and musicians and, and, and writers and such, Roxy and the Underground Soul Sound, Aaron Costello, the Melotones, oh, Jackie yeah. Brown. These are people who, like, they welcomed me with open arms and took every opportunity to have me sing with them, and I was really grateful for that. Right. It made me much more comfortable. Another person, or a group of persons, rather, that are very noteworthy is the Dub Cartel. They put me on big old stages, starting with Evolve. And they kept on including me in everything that they did and made me comfortable to stand in front of a stage here in the East Coast. So I want to take the chance to pick them up as well. All right. Well, I mean, we're obviously more than happy to have you here. You're, you're such an incredible talent. I, I want to ask you about your voice. Um, be- yeah. Because I think, it's, I think it's really very singular. Like, I kind of liken it to you know you're like an old soul when you sing i mean i don't know how old you are but i mean and it's Mm almost it's almost it's almost motherly like how tell me about the development of your voice and where you would like to take it of course so when i was much younger and singing on choir i was influenced a lot by big old negro spirituals you know yeah wade in the water things like that <laughs> right, you know? right yeah 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 <laughs> and it, it, it encouraged me to um really belt you know and, and really give of myself and really sing from the soul um i had to temper that a little bit once i started to do background vocals professionally because you 
as a background vocalist, you want to blend. You don't want to really stand out. Of course, yeah. So over time, I had to, well, over time, I managed to develop the balance between those two worlds. And basically, I think that's what you're hearing now. <laughs> right. Right. Um, but I'm, w- I'm wondering where where the soul came from. I mean, not that reggae doesn't have soul. It has very, very deep soul. But it seems like your, you know, your your soul stylings are more in the uh, Lauren Hill, Aretha Franklin zone. Uh, I mean, are, are these artists that you would like to emulate in your career? For sure. I'll tell you some of them that have really had a lasting impact on me. And you've mentioned two of them already, Lauren Hill, Aretha Franklin. You have um, big gospel icons like Shirley Caesar. You know, when those people sing, they move you. Yolanda Adams, the, the Karen, um, Karen Clark Sheard and the Sheard sisters were also gospel singers as well. Yeah. Incredible. When those people um, sing, it drives me tears and that's the sort of impact I want to have on people's lives you know I want to be able to be an experience and not just another fleeting passing song on the radio right right I I, I, I fully agree and I don't think you'll ever be like that honestly <laughs> <laughs> your your voice is just so incredible and uh, and your your music is as well I, I want to ask you um, about your husband and musical collaborator Adrian Dunn and uh, what he has brought to your music. Oh, of course. So when I met Adrian, I saw him play. He's a very quiet individual, very humble. And um, whenever he goes on stage, he, you see him break that mold. He's really, he really shines on stage. And he doesn't sing much, even though he has an album, Bloodline. Please check that out on Bandcamp, everyone. It's really in his guitar that I really hear him really step to the fore, you know. And we wrote a lot of songs together. He's really brought out an indie side of me, where we're writing a lot of soul songs, a lot of um, funk songs and stuff like that. So he really brings me down off of that big reggae um, energy and, and brings me down. We write some love songs, of course, celebrating our, our union. So that's always good. Um, his father, he's currently now working on an album that his late father had left. Um, his father passed two years ago, my father-in-law, Paul Dunn. Um, he's a very big influence on me as well. I, I recorded quite a bit with him as well. And his album will be coming out in just a few months called Mama's Kitchen, talking about their entire family and their life in North Sydney. So I would beg everyone to look out for that as well. You'll hear a lot of agents playing on that album. And it's the one that we're working on now. Okay. Um, I mean, obviously you're, uh, and I will check that out. Uh, obviously you, you, you are a, a big personality, you know, and I, I'm wondering, um, is it difficult for you to let Adrian come in there and and make his contributions, you know, towards your music? Because uh, you you seem like you have a real vision. Uh, how yeah. how is how is that relationship in the studio and songwriting? Oh, for sure, um, Adrian is a strong person. He's quietly strong, if you know what I mean, and and. Um, I, I rely on him a lot for a lot of his quiet strengths. I'm I'm like a, I would tell you now, I'm like a firecracker. <laughs> <laughs> but with a lot of that energy comes a bit of instability at times. And Adrian is that is that rock 
that that supports me and um and I think we balance each other in that way artistically and also in our general relationship as well so um yeah, I feel like that's how we we manage ourselves. <laughs> Is that friction, you know, uh, like a positive influence on the music? Oh, absolutely. A very positive influence on the music because he is that sounding board that I go to and I ask him um, for his feedback and he, he gives it to me honestly and he shares things with me and, and he, he supports me. He's always there to support me. So, it's, yes, definitely positive. Okay. Um, so we're coming up to your debut album now, okay. uh, which uh, I think is really hotly anticipated and you have assembled uh, a very large band here a se- <laughs> like really yeah. a seven piece band you know um why did you decide to go with such a large group i let's start from the beginning i was going to answer in a different way but let's start from the very beginning Teddy Skiffington, former drummer of, of Dub Cartel, gave me a call one Sunday. Dub Cartel wasn't playing as many shows as they were before. And he was like, how's about starting your own band? <laughs> and I was like, hmm. I had started one called Melodora before with um, some really incredible musicians from the NSCC Music Arts Program. And because I had moved and a lot of logistical obstacles that didn't manage to last very long, but then this one was much different. Teddy was like, I'll get the musicians. Adrian can come and play guitar if you want, and, and we'll take it from there. And I went to the rehearsal. Like, I didn't have a plan or anything. Right. I just started jamming. And we started off doing a lot of covers until we started to integrate my own material into it and learn it and arrange it and make the oars, you know? And um, these guys just showed up. Christine showed up later on. Charlie showed up later on. Richard showed up and decided to stay, and it wasn't a second thought. It wasn't like at the beginning I was like, let's have an 80s band. <laughs> there were people who showed up for jams and decided, you know what, this is pretty cool. I might just stay. <laughs> wow. Well, that's, that's, that's so awesome. It happened organically then. Organically is the best way to describe it, and I'll tell you one thing. They're like my brothers and sisters now. You talk about support system, in addition to Adrian, these are the guys that I, I rely on, you know, and that I, I am thankful to for, for giving me that support system that makes me as confident as I am to be able to share. Yeah, and, and I've seen some clips um, uh, online of you playing at the Seahorse, and, uh, and I've, you know, just been so impressed because you're, I mean, it's almost like your voice is so big that the band has to match your voice. And <laughs> and it probably takes seven other people to do that. Right? Oh, dear. Maybe. <laughs> <laughs> Seems like it at this point. Um, uh, uh, referring to your debut album, which is in the works here, you told The Coast magazine in August of 2019 that, quote, it will be a proper melding of my two cultures in one project. What did you mean by that? Because now... Definitely Nova Scotia is my home, and Jamaica is also my home, and I want to be able to represent that in the musicianship and in the art, and I want both of my cultures to be well represented there. So um, the album will have myself on it, of course, and all, all these Nova Scotian musicians that will be playing reggae music. We've already done the work. We've gone back to Jamaica. We've played there, and we've been well-received, and now it's just a matter of putting all these ideas and these um, loose ends together 
to create an all-encompassing piece of work that I hope is well-received. Well, I, I think that uh, if I was a betting man, I, w- I would bet on it being well-received. I think it's uh, hotly anticipated, for sure. Oh, and um, and uh, I congratulate you in advance on uh, on your debut album. I, I can't wait to hear it, and can't wait to when things allow to to see you live for myself. Um, Thank you. I think it's going to be an incredible experience. I just want to end off here with a song by you. Um, I, I, I left it up to you to choose your own song here to end off on. What did you choose? I chose Reggae Soul. <laughs> and I chose Reggae Soul for just what we were discussing earlier in our conversation. It really is the representation of what I bring to the table. And it's a soul-influenced reggae. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's, it's definitely a mission statement, right? It is, definitely. Okay. Well, we're going to hear that right now. Thank you, Jamila, for being our very first guest on the Radio ECMA podcast. And I'm going to get you that T-shirt as well. Thank you, Chris. <laughs> so you can so you can wear it while you're doing laundry or something like that. <laughs> oh, no, I'll wear it proudly through the streets of Halifax. No worries. Okay. Uh, this is Reggae Soul by Jamila. Thank you once again, Jamila, for being on the Radio ECMA podcast. All the best. Bye-bye. Up for me, cause the vibe is right, and I'm loving the feeling. Everybody just a dance with them and to the ceiling. The pain where you are feel the music are the healing. Don't need no strife and war. All we need is love from us. Not a crime if your paper smile. In any wise, it no cause attack. It's moving, it's moving. Oh.
That's Reggae Soul from Jamila, our very first guest on the Radio ECMA podcast. The song is certainly a mission statement for her. It definitely describes what she does and can't wait for her debut album. She's working on it now. Hopefully a 2020 release, although I think more expectedly in 2021. And it's... Uh, hotly anticipated as I mentioned before so we're really looking forward to that and hopefully we'll have Jamila back on the podcast very soon and that concludes the very first episode of the Radio ECMA podcast thank you very much for listening I hope you listen to our future episodes our future podcasts we got a lot of fine musicians to jam in here from Atlantic Canada we got the best music environment in the world and we're going to present every single one of them right here on the Radio ECMA podcast, so please come back. I'm Chris Batstone. Bye for now. The Radio ECMA podcast with Chris Batstone is produced by the East Coast Music Association, recorded at Imaging by Guido in St. John's, ibgrocks.com, supported by the SoCan Foundation, music by Cassie Mann. For more information on upcoming episodes, head to ecma.com or find us on socials at East Coast Music. Thanks for listening.